Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. This is a miracle of healing the withered hand is kind of how it's talked about in the Bible. It is in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you have a Bible with titles, right above chapter 3, it says, A man with a withered hand. Now, there is, first I want to tell you, as you look that up, that there is a TV show. It's a TV show called The Chosen. Funny thing about this TV show is it's not on TV. It's called The Chosen, and you get it by going to a website or getting an app for your phone or tablet. And it's a group of people, of Christian people, who are putting together a serialized show. They call it a TV show of the life of Jesus, and they take all four Gospels, and if he said something different in all four Gospels, he says all those things in the TV show, and they add things to fill it in that Jesus would probably do, and I'm going to show you a short two-minute clip of the healing of the withered hand, just so you can get an example of this. You say, I want more of this, then you go to The Chosen, TV on a web browser, and you can watch what is out currently. So there's a little more added in the exchange between the Pharisees and Jesus, but you could see how Jesus could actually say that. And in the actual scripture, the man with the withered hand never speaks, but it's proper for an exchange between Jesus. And so you look at that and you go, it does fit and it doesn't blaspheme the name of Jesus, what they're doing. And so if you want to see the Gospels come to life, go to thechosen.tv on a web browser and, and you can see it. So this particular miracle, we do not know when it happened in the order of other things. It just says, again, he entered the synagogue. So we know that it is Saturday. It is the Sabbath. That is all that we know. We don't know how many weeks or months have passed since the last healing on the Sabbath. And what we have to know is that Jesus in this passage did not just randomly walk into a synagogue and find somebody with a withered hand. This was planned. He knew the person would be there. He knew it would be this particular synagogue. Jesus lived and walked with purpose. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He purposefully goes into a synagogue on a Sabbath, heals on the Sabbath to stick the Pharisees in the eye, basically, to tell them what the true meaning of the Sabbath is, which we shall look at. This healing was 
not a, oh, look what I'll do, I'll just heal. This healing was planned from before the foundation of the world. One thing that this passage kind of indicates that the production of the chosen doesn't show is they have very small sets because they don't have a lot of money. There was probably 200 people, 250 people in this synagogue. If it was a local synagogue, every single person in town would be there. And they would sit on benches with the women on one side and the men on the other if it was a large synagogue. And Jesus being in the Galilee area, huge Jewish population, you probably have large synagogues. But production costs, you know, they got to make it smaller. And so in this passage, what does Jesus do? Jesus goes in. And it says in verse uh, 1, there was a man with a withered hand. Now the word for withered here is where we get the word atrophied. The the idea is if you've ever seen a plant, plant and its leaves are brown and wilted, it was that sort of thing. What we would understand today is that there was probably some blood flow problem, there was probably some nerve damage. We do not know if this was from an accident or a disease or perhaps even a birth defect that this person had a withered hand from birth. For a long, If it happened recently, for example, then you have the, the opportunity for gangrene to come into the hand that eventually, if it was left untreated, if it was left with bad blood flow, they would eventually have to uh, amputate the hand, okay? So it isn't an emergency that he has to be healed that moment, and that's the, the idea that the Pharisees come up with, is they say, no, no, do it tomorrow on Sunday, because Saturday you're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath, okay? It says that in the Bible, said it in the video, What does that mean? Why did they say that? If you go to, oh, back in Abraham's time and Isaac and those people when they're growing into the land, their work week didn't exist. They worked sunup to sundown continually, whether it was Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Sunday, they had no idea, they didn't care Prior to the Mount of of Sinai and Moses and the law, the only time-telling that you had from the atmosphere, from what was out there, was day, because the sun rises and sets, and that's one day. And then they were able to get the month from the moon. The moon basically goes around the earth every 28 days, and so they call that a month. And so you could get from the movement of the planet day and month, and even year if you wanted to count that up that high, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a seven-day week was unknown to anybody in the world prior to that. You got no days off, in other words. So when God brings the people to Mount Sinai and he starts giving the law, specifically the Ten Commandments, He gives the fourth commandment, and the fourth commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God is telling as part of the law, work six days and on the seventh day, which is Saturday, you rest. You don't do any work. That's basically how the law is put together. It says no work. So the law is given to Moses on the Ten Commandments. It's, it's given out and taught to the people. They wander around for 40 years. They begin to take the promised land and people begin to ask questions. What's work? God says, I can't do work. What is work? And as the centuries went by and they were taken into Babylon and they were brought back after 70 years, this group known as the Pharisees came into existence to answer that question and other questions about Scripture. They had a long list of things that were considered work and things that were not considered work. So if you had a question, you raise your hand and say, Mr. Pharisee, what is work? Can I do this? Can I build my house on Saturday? And they would say, no, building your house is work. And you say, thank you, I'll do it on Sunday. And uh, just as an aside, we have a two-day weekend because the Jews gave a Saturday and Jesus Christ on his resurrection gave a Sunday. That's why we only work five days a week, because of the Jewish history and because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Uh, so it is religious reasons, actually, and therefore people who do not believe in God should just work seven days a week because the days off are religious. That's just a thought. And so they're watching Jesus because in their long list, they said, your doctors, Luke was a doctor, if you recall, your doctors couldn't fix people on the Sabbath unless it was life-threatening. So somebody comes and they are bleeding and they're bleeding bad and if you do not bandage that up this person will bleed to death by Sunday. You're allowed to stop the bleeding and stabilize them but not do anything else until the next day. Healing was not allowed on the Sabbath by a doctor. So Jesus, who is God, comes, and he heals on the Sabbath. And his question is, in, in Matthew and Luke, he talks about sheep. He says, you've got a sheep or an ox, and it falls in a pit on Saturday morning. Okay? And it's rah, 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 because it wants out, and it's hungry, and there's no grass at the bottom of the pit. Do you say, sorry, little sheep? I can't lift you out because it is the Sabbath and lifting a sheep would be considered work. No, instead you get some friends together and you throw some ropes down there, depending how deep it is, and you lift the animal out of the pit on a Saturday. Okay, Jesus says you do that all the time to the Pharisees. 
you do that and you do not consider it a sin. You do that and you do not consider it work. So the question that is asked in Mark is, is it lawful, that, lawful then to do harm, to save a life, or to kill? And he's just throwing these things out to the Pharisees to get more understanding and to show their hypocritical contradiction about what's going on. The true answer is because God is in charge of the Sabbath and he gave it to us for our rest, if I want to do good for somebody, I am allowed to do good for somebody. Now there's questions on whether the good that I'm going to do is going to be work, but you can work that out. Definitely to kill somebody would be an act of work. And so Jesus is saying, you have two sides of the coin. You have good, giving life to somebody, and bad, giving death to somebody. And which one is considered work, which one is lawful? And it says in verse 5, and it's this way in all three Gospels, it says, but they were silent. Okay? They knew their law, but their law only went so far. Their law only answered so many questions. And Jesus asking more questions causes them to think about it and process it and perhaps change their mind, but they're never going to change their mind. They are stuck in what they've made up because the law is written down. You can find a Jewish person today and say, let me see your Bible. And the Jewish person will pull out their Bible and it will be exactly like our Old Testament. Okay? The only real difference is they have, one, they have Samuel. We have First and Second Samuel. They have Kings. We have First and Second Kings. We have, they have Chronicles. We have First and Second Chronicles. We divide books that are long in the Old Testament, they do not. They are just long books, okay? But the words are in the exact same order. The books are in the exact same order. The teaching is exactly the same. If you, get a, if you know Hebrew and you get a Hebrew scroll and you read it, and you read your English ESV Old Testament, it's saying the same thing. It isn't that the teaching of the law changed radically when Americans got involved and printed their own Bibles. It has been the same for thousands of years. And what the Pharisees did was they created two layers of oral law. If you know anything about oral law, oral law can change. Okay, if I am in a different mood, this law that I'm speaking can have different words. And so they created unwritten law that only they knew that was kind of secret and that in doing that they were able to control the population out of fear. And so Jesus is asking the question to the Pharisees and it says, in, let's see, verse 2, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And the word for watching is intently staring. There's a bunch of them, and they're just staring at Jesus to see if he's going to 
trip up somewhere, or say a bad word or do something so that they could accuse him. Their goal is not to see if this guy is God so they can worship him and serve him. Their goal is to prove Jesus wrong and therefore accuse him. So how they got that way is over the centuries they had in their mind what God should be like, how God should function and act, what God should do for me and do for my enemies, how God should function in the world. They created this mindset, and instead of opening their Bibles, which they had, they had scrolls, open their Bibles and read what God said about himself, they put their Bibles on the shelf and said, God must be this. And they built most of it out of Jewish history and out of Jewish teachings of, you know, what Abraham talked about and Isaac talked about and Jacob talked about and the 12 tribes and what happened in the various stories of the Old Testament. They interpreted God through those stories. And one of their conclusions was they as Pharisees are God's favorite and God would never contradict them. God would never do anything they didn't like. God would never fix their misunderstanding because they had figured it all out. As Pharisees, when God sits on his throne and he thinks about who his favorite people are, they were sure Pharisees would be the first one to come to mind. And therefore, when somebody like Jesus, who is God incarnate, the Pharisee says, only God can heal. And Jesus says, interesting point, because Jesus is God and he can heal. And he can heal on any day of the week he wants because he is God. He wants to alleviate our suffering. He wants to make our lives better. Ultimately, bring us salvation, but on the way, he wants to make our lives better. And so in being silent, you could say, well, they knew they were beat, or they didn't understand what Jesus was saying, or whatever the reason was they were silent, because Jesus gets angry at them, most likely their silence was such hatred for Jesus, they didn't want to engage. Such hatred for Jesus, they didn't want to participate in what, they, in what was going on. They, they didn't give Jesus the time of day. And so it says in verse 5, and he looked around with them with anger and anger at their setting Jesus up. Some people have said that they probably brought the guy with the withered hand into the, into the synagogue to force Jesus' hand to do something. Well, setting Jesus up, making Jesus do something, telling God what to do instead of listening to God, he gets angry. But he also says, grieved at their hardnesses of heart. These were the people that knew the Bible more than anywhere else. They were professional believers. They were professional studiers of the law. 
when they were done with their job in the field or whatever, they would go home and we might go home and turn on the TV. They would open a scroll and until the candle went out or until they were so tired they had to go to sleep, they would study the Bible all night, every night. They knew it backwards and forwards, but their interpretation of it, their interpretation of what it means and how it's going and all that kind of stuff was totally from their sinful hearts. And so they had an opportunity. If the Pharisees were really into God, the way the Bible talks about God, then when Jesus comes, they might do some investigation and say, wait a minute, he's born in Bethlehem. The wise men did some investigation. They found out he was born in Bethlehem, and lo and behold, that was all the evidence they needed. That and a star was the only evidence they needed to say Jesus was the new king. The Pharisees didn't even ask those questions. They just said, Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do. Jesus doesn't talk about God the way we want to talk about God. Jesus doesn't follow our rules. Therefore, Jesus is bad. And Jesus has to be destroyed. And so they are, from Jesus' point of view, Jesus is sad. Because they're a sad group of people. And we can look at some of the people, perhaps friends we know, who just out of hand just totally reject God because something happened that they didn't like or somebody said something or they were hurt in a church or something happened that they said, well, if God is God, he should have fixed it or prevented it. Even though nowhere in the Bible does it say the purpose for God to exist is to make us happy. But yet there are many, many, many billions of people today who look at God and say, that's what I need to believe, while looking at a true picture of God in the Gospels and in the Old Testament, we see that God is out for two things. He's out for His glory. Everything that is happening is His glory. And we say, but how, do, how can this glorify God? Ah, you'll see someday. Someday God is going to remove the veil when you're in heaven with Him, and He's going to show you how these various wars and, and dictators and tyrants and you know, killings and all this give Him glory. And I think the way, one way it does it is that in the end He wins is that all these people shaking their fist at God will not win. God is going to win. Jesus won in this exchange with the Pharisees. And I, the other thing that God is very interested in is your sanctification. God wants to make you holy like He is holy. God wants to make you holy like Jesus is holy. And His working out of things to an unholy person. I'm unholy and I'm unrighteous. Okay? When God says, we're going to make you holy and righteous, it hurts. It isn't what I want. It isn't what I was going to think. I was going to go this way because it's comfortable, because it's pleasurable. 
God says, no, no, no. You go this way because it's holy and righteous. Okay? And only if I yield, and we sing songs like this all the time. Whatever you want, God, go ahead and do it. Okay? I'm, I'm the clay. You're the potter. Have your way with me. We sing these things, and what this means is, when we sing this, is that when I want to go this way because it's comfortable, because it's pleasurable to my mind, and God says, no, 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 go over here because it's righteous and holy, it's a two-part thing. God says, go over here, and I need to choose it. And when I choose it, I am letting God have his way with me, and I am participating in the sanctification, in the holy making. And so what do the Pharisees do? They're all mad at him and stuff like that. So in verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The Herodians were pagans. The Herodians were followers of King Herod. They followed the Roman religion, the pantheistic, polytheistic religion. Jesus was nothing to them. The God of the Bible was nothing to them. They were unbelievers. They were pagans. They were followers of a false religion. And supposedly these godly people, these Pharisees, contract with the world to destroy Jesus. Because they cannot come up with a biblical reason. They cannot come up with a godly reason to destroy Jesus. So they hire thugs who do not believe in God, who are going to help them eventually put Jesus on the cross. So Jesus heals who he's going to heal based on his compassion and his mercy. In this passage, the guy with the withered hand doesn't even talk. He didn't ask him if he wants to be healed. The person doesn't ask to be healed. There's no conversation about faith. There's no conversation at all with the guy with the withered hand. Now, we believe that they probably talked a bit. I mean, Jesus is not a hard-hearted guy. But there, in the Bible, what the guy with the withered hand says is inconsequential to the story. That's why it's not there. And Jesus, being the focus of the story, is the one who healed the withered hand in order to show his love and compassion and increase the tension with the Pharisees. Even at this point, Jesus knows his point of being here is to go to the cross. So he can't play nicey-nicey with the Pharisees, because if he played nicey-nicey with the Pharisees, they never would have killed him. Okay? So he has to have conflict with the Pharisees while true believers get compassion and love and mercy. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we just praise you for your love. We praise you for all the things that you give us, the blessings, the grace, the mercy, all to make us holy like you are holy. Lord, we praise you for that and pray that as we are given all manner of choices this week that we will not side with the world, but we will side with you to your glory and to our sanctification. Lord, we praise you for all of these things and ask your blessing upon the remainder of the day. And we ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen.
Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.